So how is everybody doing this morning? My wife said I had to tell you all who, who I am. I'm not Nathan Frankhauser. <laughs> My name is Barney. Hey, it's good to see you guys. It's a beautiful day outside. We, we've got uh, some things we want to talk about today, about wisdom. And uh, since we've got a lot to go over, I'm going to jump right in to James chapter 3, and it will be verses 13 through 18, and all, all the verses are going to be on the screen today. James says this, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James goes right back to a topic that he talked about in chapter one of his letter, uh, wisdom. He said in that chapter, if we lack wisdom, we could ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. So the first thing that we will be taught by James is there are two main types of wisdom, earthly wisdom and godly wisdom, or as James calls godly wisdom, wisdom from above. It's important to note that all, not all earthly wisdom is bad in and of itself. Uh, but the scripture clearly warns us that if we only deal in earthly wisdom, we can fall into the habit of living according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. So earthly wisdom generally appeals to the senses and the emotions. In contrast, wisdom from God is, is that which reflects him. So a drastic difference between, between the two. While earthly wisdom says, always follow your heart, godly wisdom tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things. Earthly wisdom says seeing is believing. Godly wisdom says, tells us in John chapter 20 that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Earthly wisdom says, love your family and your friends. Godly wisdom tells us in Matthew 5 to also love your enemies and to bless them. While earthly wisdom says there are many ways to God, godly wisdom tells us in Acts 4 that there is only one way to God, and that's through Christ. All other types of wisdom can be valuable, but limited. That, that, that value is limited, and, and we're going to talk about that. Unless it is built on the knowledge of the Lord himself, history proves to us 
that much of humanity has claimed to find wisdom without ever finding God. So Paul addressed this with the church at, at Corinth. He was telling them about how the message of the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20 and 21, he goes on to say, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, of the world? For since the wisdom, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So like James, Paul understands that there's a difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom does not understand that heavenly wisdom is characterized by humility and meekness. So, and we're going to talk about those things because meekness is not what you think it is. Earthly wisdom finds its roots in jealousy and selfish am ambition. That's the result of an inordinate desire for things that do not belong to us or for a lust for power. It's demonic. James says. That's a pretty hard term. That means it's of the devil. Even in the Greek, that means it's of the devil. <laughs> it's demonic because of the selfish ambition and jealousy that it creates in, in human beings are the th same things that motivated Satan uh, to, to, to derail God's will. Today, I want to show you characteristics of two vastly different wisdoms, earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Now, James is going to give us the, the framework for recognizing and understanding that earthly wisdom and godly, and godly wisdom. So let's jump right back into James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We'll start with 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So this question that James asks in verse 13 who among you is wise and understanding? It's a question, but it's a bit of a, of a challenge as well. If you claim to be wise, he says, demonstrate your wisdom in the works that true wisdom will produce. This, there's a highly used, oversimplified definition of knowledge or understanding, as James calls it, and wisdom. Knowledge is just that. It can be facts. It can be head knowledge. Or in today's world, it can be Google or YouTube knowledge. <laughs> There's nothing wrong, inherently wrong, with those two informational sites. But putting the information that you get on those into practice is an entirely different situation. So let me give you a couple of examples. If you're interviewing a contractor to build you a house, and in your interview, you ask, you ask the contractor, how many houses have you built? He says, I haven't built any, but I've watched dozens of YouTube videos on it. <laughs> you might want to move on. Or if you go to the doctor, and 
you describe your ailment, then ask the doctor, have you ever treated someone with these, these type of symptoms before? He says, uh, no, but I Googled it, and I think I know what's wrong with you. <laughs> so there again, you might want to move on. Another good sign, they have knowledge, but not wisdom. Move on. Both of these are an example of knowledge without wisdom. So James uses two different Greek words with two different meanings, a Greek word for wise and a Greek word for understanding. Understanding, and and we're going to talk about this because it's very, very important for you to understand what it meant to the writer then, because if we don't get that, we're not going to get the meaning of the word. He uses two different words. So the word for understanding comes from the Greek word epistemon, which focuses on intellect or factual knowledge, just having knowledge. Wisdom, which James will center on more heavily as we go through this, is from the Greek word sophos. This term is more related to practical, real-life use of moral reasoning. Now, I'm not saying that intellect is not important, but James' primary point in this letter is about what we actually do, about what we do. You remember a couple of weeks ago that Nathan talked about trusting God. He talked about how easy it is to tell someone, oh, just trust God. People look at you and say, what does that mean? What what do you mean by that? The same principle is true if you're trying to figure out how God would want you to handle a situation in your life and someone tells you, just use godly wisdom. All righty. You're going to say, I I don't even know what that means. What, What does it mean? How do I apply that in my life? James is known to be very straightforward. He's known to lean more heavily on the applied wisdom aspect. The ancient Hebrews associated wisdom with our modern word skill. Now, even though skill is not a direct translation of the Hebrew term, skill implies what wisdom is in actual practice. Excellence or quality or expertise in the practice of one's occupation, craft, or art. So it's what you do, it's the skill that you have. So people may acquire many skills in life, but the scripture focuses on human life and its God-given purpose. Therefore, a practical definition of biblical wisdom is skill in living according to God's way of life. Skill in living according to God's way of life. So keep in mind, That wisdom is not the same as just being really, really smart, though it's generally associated with a high level of intelligence. Many, many, many intellectually keen folks are pretty unwise. (laughs) I know some of those. Used to work for them. (laughs) Even some criminals are very clever, but it doesn't mean they're wise. The behavior of some highly intelligent people is sometimes foolish that it ruins their lives and the lives of others. So when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's not doing so in some vague, undefined way. If I just told you just use wisdom, 
That's pretty vague and certainly not well-defined. It's, it, it, biblical wisdom includes a moral component, and it has to, a clear sense of reality and a practical aspect which goes beyond being in possession of intellect. Do you get that? It's, it, it has to go beyond your intellect. So let's look again at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his by, by his grade point, average in school. No, no, that's not what James said. Let him show it by the scholarship offers he's had to colleges. Nope, not that. <laughs> Let him show it by how much money he has. That's good, right? No, that's not what James says. He says, let him show by his good, good behavior, his deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. So in just a few minutes, we're going to go deeper into what James means by good behavior. I don't want to leave that vague or unspecified. But first, let's look at the mindset we are to have when displaying that good behavior. James says, if we are wise and understanding, we should show that good behavior in the gentleness of wisdom. Some translations you'll see, it says the meekness of wisdom. Now, if I were to tell you that someone was meek or gentle, what comes to your mind? Probably timid, maybe unassertive. Uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines meek as this, enduring injury with patience and without resent resentment, De deficient in spirit and courage, not violent or strong. Hmm. That definition could not be further from the definition of the Greek word that James used here. It's exactly the opposite. James used the Greek word praus, P-R-A-U-S, praus. This word was associated with the breaking in of horses, the training of animals, a horse in the, in the first century would have been one of the most powerful animals that they dealt with, along with oxen. So, so imagine an untamed horse filled with passion, spirit, and power. And then imagine getting all that power under control during the training process. The Greek understanding of meek, or praus, carries with it the idea of taking all of that power, all that passion, and putting it under control. James has just used the example in verse, in, in, uh, in verse 3 earlier when he described the ability to control a horse by a bit in its mouth. Meekness or prous includes the idea of self-restraint and self-control. It's having the power at our disposal but not using it. It's the king who could destroy his enemies, but chooses to be merciful. He chooses to be lenient. He chooses restraint. It combines a sense of gentleness and strength, not weakness, not indifference, not timid or not unassertive. Couldn't be further from the truth. It's strength with gentleness. It is power under control. That's the word that James uses here. James is saying that godly wisdom has power. It has strength. 
but its display in our lives should be good behavior in the power that is shown in self-control. The power that is shown in self-control. Have you ever tried to control yourself? Do you know how hard that is? You ever get really mad and say, I have to practice self-control because the Bible says I need to. It's not that easy. There is power when you can show self-control. Power. Wisdom is measured by what James said in verse 13. Good behavior in deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. So let's, let's move on to verse 14. But it, we have a lot to go over, and I'm never going to be done with it if we don't keep going. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. James has just finished up a lengthy dissertation earlier in this chapter, or chapter about the tongue and its effect on our life and the lives of the people that we come in, in contact with. Verse 14 now shifts to things that we have in our heart. Before we talk about the two obvious heart issues here, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I want to take a minute to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that, into verse 14 and the words that James uses. Do you know that you can't tell how wise someone is just by looking at them? It, 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 some, some folks, like Bob looks very, very wise to me. And his wife says he is. And, and, and I, but I wouldn't know that just by looking at Bob. The scripture tells us in, in, uh, clearly in Luke 6, 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks, that, speaks from that which fills his heart. Now, Nathan used this scripture last week to talk about, uh, describe the source of evil that is spoken by the tongue. Luke says that the heart holds the treasure of a man or a woman. And James expands that further to describe some of the evil that's in verse 14, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, it's obvious that a person has an issue of evil in their heart if their mouth proclaims that evil, right? Pretty clear, pretty clear. But what if it's in their heart and it doesn't come out of their mouth? Or not right away anyway. Make no mistake, if you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you can be sure it will come out. It may not come out in your words, but it will certainly, certainly be shown in your actions. James says, if you know that you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. What is lying against the truth? I, it, that's an interesting phrase. Isn't, isn't every lie against the truth? Literally, what James was saying, he was saying not to be lying against the truth. If your life reveals that you possess a worldly wisdom demonstrated by selfish ambition and envy, which stems from your heart, then don't make matters worse 
and sin against the obvious truth by boasting about what you don't have. Your selfish ambitions and your actions reveal the lie. James is pretty clear. He's a hard guy to read. He's a hard guy. Because y'all are looking at me like, whoa, boy. <laughs> James rebuked those who claim, claim to be Christians, who say they align with the truth of God, yet their lives and their words prove otherwise. He rebuked those people. Verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. It's interesting that James still labels this wisdom. Okay, earthly wisdom, earthly wisdom. What is that, Barney? What are you talking about? That's not so bad, is it? We all need a little bit of earthly wisdom, right? James goes on. He calls it natural. Okay, again, that's not so bad, right? I like natural bread, all natural ingredients. Isn't that a good thing? Some, some translations will give us a better understanding of that. Some call it sensual. Well, okay, we're starting to get on the edge of something that's not so good. Indulging in fleshly desires. Okay, that's not so good. Then James hits us with the real problem concerning earthly wisdom. It's demonic. It's from Satan. (laughs) Many of the New Testament writers warn against this worldly approach to life. Thinking in such short-sighted way contrasts with the life that God calls his people to follow. So the Apostle John defined this worldly wisdom as the desires or lust of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. This counterfeit earthly wisdom promises to give us all the desires of our hearts. In the next verse, James is going to describe the actual result of that, though. Verse number 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Worldly wisdom is motivated and characterized by selfish ambition. Whatever advances self-interest, whatever stokes your ego, the world's world's definition of success is getting whatever you want out of life. Just figure out what makes you happy, then go for it. Do whatever it takes to get that result. It's worth it according to the wisdom of the world, but we end up never being satisfied with that. If you're in that quest for that, it doesn't end well. James points out that the result of everyone focusing on themselves and only working for the things that satisfy themselves is disorder. Barney, how is that disorder? Disorder means instability, confusion, do you know that God is very orderly? He, he sets things up in a clear order. He's at the top, not me, not you, not our desires. He's at the top. His desires are at the top. Then he puts everything else in its proper order. James tells us that when we abandon God's order, it leads to every evil and vile practice. I can testify to that. I know that happens. 
Why? What's so wrong about wanting to get ahead? Barney, what's so wrong about that? Nothing is wrong with working hard to get ahead. Nothing is wrong with that. Hear me clearly. It's commendable to work hard, <laughs> it, it, to provide for your family and for yourself. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But if your desire is driven by a heart issue of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it will eventually require you to hurt someone else to get what you want. Do you know that? It will. It will. It requires us to accept a lifestyle that takes the order that God has established it and changes it so that we're at the top. God's no longer at the top. We are. God's plan is no longer our plan. Our standards change. We accept evil because it doesn't go against our plan. This, church, is earthly wisdom. So let's look at how James describes wisdom from God. And you'll notice how closely that James' words align with Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and these words will be on the screen. James 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Purity comes first because without it, nothing else on this list might, you know, makes any difference. It doesn't matter. If it's not pure, it's not from God. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, that's not just theory or biblical talk. That's how life actually works. When your heart is pure, you'll see God. When your heart is cluttered with wrong attitudes and evil notions, you're going to see everything but God. When you and your heart are pure, you're able to recognize the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that comes from above. Next, James says that it is peaceable. The wisdom from God doesn't create, doesn't create conflicts. It ends them. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In our world, there's a lot of turmoil and strife, much turmoil and strife in our world today. Many people are seeking peace. Godly wisdom promotes peace. It is peace-loving. Hebrews 12 tells us to pursue peace with all men. If you have godly wisdom, you're going to be a peacemaker. Next, it is gentle. Godly wisdom is gentle. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Our view of gentleness and wisdom is often overlooked. You see, godly wisdom with gentleness is, is linked to many of the attributes that God requires of his people. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, Paul explains to Timothy why gentleness that comes with godly wisdom must, 
be applied in our lives. He says this, the Lord's bondservant must not be, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, that's what it is, having been held captive by him to do his will. Godly wisdom will always promote God's plan for his people. If it isn't gentle, it isn't godly wisdom. Next, godly wisdom is reasonable. And this is one that can take us aback a little bit. Generally, uh, when you hear the word reasonable, it generally means being willing to yield. Now, being right to Christians is a very important thing. So when we see that godly wisdom is characterized by a willingness to yield, we stop and take a second look. Wait a minute, we're not so willing to yield sometimes. I want to spend a couple of minutes on that word that James used here that we have translated as reasonable, and this is an important one. The Greek word that he used is eupathes. Eupathes. This is going to help us understand what James was trying to convey in, in, the, in this scripture. This word is made up of two Greek words put together. U, E-U, which means well and good. And pathes, which means to persuade. In effect, the word means good persuasion. Basically, what James is saying is it means to persuade someone by kind words or motives. It also means to, to be convinced or persuaded to believe that something is true. Using kind words or motives. It, you've, you've heard the old saying, you'll get more flies with honey than you will from uh, vinegar. Kind of the same thing. At first, this might seem contrary to godly wisdom. But hear me out on this. It's easy to think that wise people would be savvy enough to not be easily convinced of things. But be, be very careful here. Sometimes suspicion can also be a trait of earthly wisdom. So be very careful. Godly wisdom can also discern when not to give in to persuade, persuasion. In, in Acts 21, Paul was being warned not to go to Jerusalem, but he was going anyway. Even though he knew the danger, the godly wise know when not to give in to per persuasion, but they are also easily persuaded of good things. The wise path may call for us to be willing to hear an opposing thought or view on a subject, even if we believe it to be faulty. That's, that's difficult. That's not to say that we give up our purity or our doctrine. It's just that godly wisdom has room for the process of growth in others as we share with them the life of Christ. We walk with them through that. We must be willing to walk alongside our brothers and sisters. We must be willing to do that, right? We must. 
We should be known for being approachable, conciliatory, reasonable, and willing to listen to other points of view. How can we teach others if we're not willing to be taught? We cannot. If wisdom is not reasonable, it is not godly wisdom. Next, godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Godly wisdom is full of mercy. It's not vengeful or vindictive. It offers others the benefit of the doubt and doesn't press for punishment, even when it's deserved. We should be merciful to others. Why should we be merciful to others? Why? Because God is merciful to us. We too have received mercy from God. This is a characteristic of God himself. He's merciful. It, so we should expect it to be a quality of the wisdom that comes from him, right? God is merciful. I'm going to skip over good fruits for just a second, and we're going to come back to it. Next on James' list of characteristics of godly wisdom is unwavering. This word is, is, is also translated impartial or without partiality. Nathan talked about this a couple of weeks back when he taught on James chapter 2. Romans 2.11 makes it clear that God shows no partiality. We see this perfectly displayed in Christ. If you want to know what impartial or impartiality looks like, look at Christ. He was the same with Bartimaeus as he was with the rich Zacchaeus. He was the same with the prostitute as he was with the Pharisee. The same with the Samaritan as he was with the Jew. He was the same with the lawyer as he was the leper. He was the same with the politician as he was the publican. He's the same with the wealthy and the poor, the strong and the weak. Jesus was impartial. If wisdom is not impartial... It's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. The Greek words for hypocrisy and hypocrite have to do with someone playing a part as an actor on a stage, a pretender who claims to be something that they are not. If you see wisdom that has double standards or judges others with a different standard that they have for themselves, it isn't wisdom from above. If it talks about living a godly life, but doesn't actually live it, it's not godly wisdom. Jesus also strongly rebukes hypocrisy. He knows our hearts. We can't fool him. You know that, right? You can't fool him. He knows our hearts. He doesn't care how righteous we look on the outside, but rather how much we are like him on the inside. If you see wisdom with hypocrisy, you can be sure that it is not godly wisdom. Good fruits. How many of you in uh, school had a show and tell? You remember show and tell? We're going to do a little show and tell here. <clears throat> okay. This is an apple. So back to good fruits. Let's talk about actual fruit for a minute. Now, it isn't by accident that many biblical writers use fruit as an example. 
It's mentioned about 66 times in the New, in the New Testament alone. The example of fruit in Scripture is everywhere. There's fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the light, bearing fruit, good fruit, bad fruit, being fruitful, multiplying, all that stuff. So what is good fruit? Now, now don't spiritualize it. I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm, I'm not asking you about peace, love, joy, and all the nine fruits of the Spirit. I'm not asking you. Tell me what you look for when you buy good fruit. How do you choose what's good? What's that? It looks good, tastes good, okay. It's not bruised. Anyone that Mark hasn't touched yet, that's a good one. Uh, maybe you start with color, firmness, and something that Mark hasn't had. You, maybe, maybe you squeeze it or you smell it. Uh, you, do you, but do you know for sure that the fruit's good? Even if you go through all that, do you know for sure? No. In order to know that the fruit is really good, you have to examine the fruit from the inside. You have to taste it. So why do you go through all this trouble to find the best fruit in the marketplace? It's a pretty simple reason. <laughs> you want to you eat it and you want to enjoy eating it, right? I'm getting somewhere, but I'm going somewhere. Stick with me, <laughs> okay? Good fruit fulfills the expectation of its design. So, it nourishes, it sustains, it provides health, it does what it was made to do. It's good for food. It has the right color, texture, the right smell, and it satisfies us when we eat it, right? It's good fruit. Good fruit. Godly wisdom that brings spiritual good fruit is the same. It has the right color the right look, it's pure, no spots, blemishes. It isn't deceptive. It displays on the outside what's on the inside. So if I cut this apple open, it's an apple on the inside. It's exactly what it displays. It, it conforms to the standard of good fruit. Spiritual good fruit reflects God's purposes. It doesn't contradict what God words, what God's word says it should be. This is an apple. It's not something else, it's an apple. It is uniformly the same as its origin. Inside this apple are seeds. If you take these seeds and put them in the ground, you're going to get another apple tree. And guess what that tree's going to produce? Apples. Apples. The tree and its fruit reflect its creator and bears the specific image for an apple tree that has been given to it by God. Godly wisdom that brings forth good fruit has the right savor that pleases God. It's offered up in a way that is pleasant when it's consumed. It has the savor that, that was intended by God and it satisfies Godly wisdom that comes with good fruit is not self-satisfying. This tree doesn't need apples to survive. The, the apple tree doesn't eat its own apples. It, the good fruit of your life 
isn't designed to feed you either. The good fruit that comes from godly wisdom is for others. But bearing fruit in your own life does have benefit for you. You're doing what God made you to do. The production of peace and joy and love, patience and kindness in you is for others so that they may experience good fruit of your godly wisdom. It's so important, folks. Godly wisdom is extremely important. This very last verse, verse 18, it says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James has been describing the difference between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom encourages us to be selfish and greedy and to put our interests before the interests of others. Godly wisdom, on the other hand, leads to peace, mercy. It's sincere. James concludes his thought from the previous verse with with a beautiful word picture. That verse 18, imagine fields full and ready to harvest. The crop of this field is righteousness, it's goodness, and everything that those who belong to God would hope to see in this world. How did it get there? The the crop was planted by those who make peace. James, he lifts up the role of peacemakers, those committing to live peacefully in full confidence that God is providing for them. These are believers who know that God is meeting every need, giving many good gifts. People like that don't don't feel the need to fight against each each other for what they need. Their peace-loving lifestyles lead to fields of righteous choices. That is the result of godly wisdom. It is... uh, it's an amazing thing because for many years in my life, I had no idea that there was a difference. I had no idea. I thought people that were savvy, pretty, pretty cool people, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be savvy. And uh, I understand now that what that leads to it's very easy to get caught up in that. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. When you're doing a job, if you're doing something and, and you have a, a job that requires you to know what, what that's about, you better know what that's about. You have to be savvy when it comes to the job that you're doing. But the way that you are savvy, it tells whether you're using earthly wisdom or godly wisdom. It will tell. Your words will, will produce exactly what's in your heart and your actions will as well.